You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. And Renee and I, if you'll remember, spoke at a couple of women's events in Middle Tennessee and upstate New York most recently. Mm -hmm. And our topic there happened to be on abundance, specifically how to live an abundant life with Christ and why so many of us don't feel like we're having life to the full. Yeah. And so one session in particular, yeah, we was talked about what, well, one session was how you can live an abundant life with Jesus, even during suffering. And our guests today know a thing or two about suffering. And so we thought we would invite them on. Their names are Joey and Carla Link. Uh, welcome, Joey and Carla. Hey there. Good to be here. <laughs> well, we're um, longtime friends with Joey and Carla. Um, they, when you hear a lot of parenting advice, this is where it comes That's from, Bonnie. Probably, yes. <laughs> these are the culprit. This is what these are, these guys are the horse's mouth, is what they would call. That's them. right. That's right. They are. They are. Um, they've been doing parenting, mentoring for a lot of years. Um, they have this wonderful website called Parenting Made Practical. And we have sent our listeners there for mm-hmm. um webinars and mom's notes, which I lived by when Me too. young mom those are carla's um in her own voice just parenting advice and so we just we thought you know what it's high time to have them on so joey and carla can you tell us just our guests a little bit about yourselves your professionally and just your family well renee before you go on let's let's point out that we wrote a book called why can't i get my kids to behave and you and your husband and kids are the stars on the front cover not that the book (laughs) is Typical of you, but you guys were gracious enough to pose for that picture. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I have fond memories of doing that that day. <laughs> That's right. I forgot you yeah, on the cover of yeah. that. We were actually doing an event in Murfreesboro, and someone picked the book up and said, oh, I know these people. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and those kids are now grown and, and starting families of their own as, as time marches on. Yeah, it's so fun. The book's still good, and it's got a lot of hits on Amazon, but... Um, I was, a I was a youth pastor in Southern California, two different churches. And obviously my wife, Carla was with me <laughs> and in our first church, we had a son, his name was Michael. And then the second church, uh, we had our daughter, Brianna, and then a church in Iowa called and said, would you come and be a family pastor? And then we had Amy. And so we moved. So I up- told him no more churches. That was fair. <laughs> So uh, we were there for six years starting family ministry, which took us into doing a ministry that we're doing now, uh, Parenting Made Practical, which is just really helping parents take biblical principles and make them practical. And we've done, as you guys have done, spoken different places. We've spoken all over the country. We've written books. The Mom's Notes you mentioned really are, um, there's 44 episodes now of the Mom's Notes, which give a lot of practical wisdom on parenting. But Carla, tell them more about the kids, will you? Our kids are all married now, too. Um, we have seven grandchildren, and uh-huh. they are the joy of our life. I just can't say enough about being with them. And thankfully, with FaceTime, they usually FaceTime us every day to, to two in Tennessee. 
around you once in front of them. <laughs> you're kind of smashed in between the two of them. And um, so we feel like we know them as they're growing up, you know, that we, you know, see them almost every day because, you know, we get to see them on FaceTime. Because our son is in Chicago with four, and then we have two daughters in Tennessee. So none of they're all a long distance mm-hmm. grandparenting and it's not fun. No, no, no. You have to figure out creative ways to make it work, you know, and make it doable. So we, we do that. And, um, and, you know, even from the time when the first one was during, born during, I mean, one of them was born during the pandemic, my daughter's first daughter's first child. And um, she, um, so we didn't get to see her for seven months. <clears throat> and, um, but the minute she heard our voices, she leaped into our arms and I just couldn't stop crying. Um, so you just have to find ways to make it work, read them stories and things like that. So we do. We just did a grandparenting series yeah. and we were talking about that with some grandmothers, the long distance and using technology is the move for sure. Absolutely. The other thing I do just to, to address that is I sing with my one in Nashville. Um, she's one and I sing silly songs with her because her mother calls and says, I need to take a shower. Could you, you know, so I know how much time I have, you know, in there. And so I will, but to keep her there now is, is quite the ordeal because, you know, she wants to be on the run. So um, we do silly songs with hand motions and Bible songs. You know, so I, you know, go back to all the, you know, head and shoulders, knees and toes. And, you know, if you're happy and, you know, clap your hands. And I mean, I go back to all of those old, you know, Sunday school Bible songs and I just relearn the hand motions or make them up. And she can, she'll start with a hand motion telling me what song she wants to do. And she's 14 months. So I, I, yeah, so she'll stay there for a very long time and sing with me. And she dances and, you know, and she claps her hands. And so that's just one more thing you're parents can do with grandparents on I love that I am right there with you with both of those songs Dottie Lou and I we're just singing them last week together head shoulders knees and toes and and all of that yep right there with you but how clever is that to get a shower in I know that's your first practical tip parenting made practical moms right there have the grandmother on FaceTime yes I love it I love it well you guys you guys are dynamic dynamic speakers and guests and we and you're great storytellers and we really do want to hear this um this story uh that changed your lives forevermore yeah why are we asking you here to talk since you're parenting experts why are we asking you about suffering so a lot of times those two things do go hand in hand but that is not what we're talking about today <laughs> um yeah why are we asking you on can you tell us what your story was and and what we're talking about today. It was Labor Day, uh, 2004. We were teaching at a parenting camp in uh, about three and a half hours from home. And it was, so we had Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it was Monday. We're driving home one o'clock in the afternoon and just uh, settling in for that three hour drive home. Had uh, we just splitting off. My son had gone up to Chicago with my other daughter to take her to, to Moody Bible Institute. And then he was going over to Iowa to the university where he's going. And we had our 15-year-old daughter in the back seat, and uh, she had been driving. We just switched over, and it was raining. I said, "Now I'm going to drive," and I just here I go. And um, we get probably five miles down the road, and all of a sudden, out of peripheral vision, I could see a truck coming at me through the medium. It was a wide medium, but um, he came, and he I'm getting over as far as I can to the guardrail. He knocked our full-size van into a guardrail that we rolled over three times landed right side up now again we're going 70 miles an hour 
He's he has a big pickup truck pulling a four horse horse trailer. So because we were surrounded by um Labor Day traffic. Uh, yep. So he, Joey had no place to go. When so he saw it I actually ran a car off the road, but he didn't care because what happened to us. He saw us rolling over a guardrail. You can just think of that as a roll. And we landed right side up. But in that roll, Carla was thrown out wearing a seatbelt. Now, I I woke up. I had um, from that, I had a concussion and a cut on my head. And I have my hand up here holding a towel. And I go over and see Carla. She's moaning and groaning. And I said, it's going to be okay. And I don't know why I said that other than, you know, that's my makeup. And I believe that we can handle anything, you know. So I, I said that. And she's moaning and groaning. And then I went over to the van. I see my my daughter hanging out the window of the van. It was a custom van, so full-size window there. And she said later that she thought that her teeth were knocked out because her mouth was full of glass and she didn't even know it. So wow. they lifted her to the ER. They took Carla in an ambulance because they didn't think she was even going to live. It ended up being that um, in the in the seeing her in the e, seeing my daughter in the ER and then Carla and ended up being she had. Um, a fractured neck, so they called a C2 fracture. She had four different places in her back. She had fractures, the C2, the T9, and I think it's the, uh, I, can't, I can't remember the other ones, but that was the L2345 that was so fractured, it was fractured so badly that they said, we they put her in a medicated coma. And from there, they said, we're going to have to do surgery if she's going to live at all. Now, I'm just giving you the highlights of the big stuff. There's a lot of other stuff, you know, other issues of broken stuff, but uh, when they said if she lives at all, the uh, neurosurgeon said that the best comparison he had for me was Terry Schiavo. And if any of your listeners can remember back 19 years, she was uh, supposed to die. Her husband wanted to pull the plug on her, but her parents didn't and got involved with the president and Congress and all kinds of stuff. But anyways, she was a, a coma in a nursing home. And that's what he was insinuating she would be like. Because she had something like 20 some brain hemorrhages, bleeding on the brain. And it's like, whoa, what do, you, what do you do with all of this, you know? And so we lived through that and um, through a lot of prayer, people all over the globe. In fact, my daughter, who just started going to Moody Bible Institute, she wanted to stay with us and I sent her back. And it was on a day that she went back, her band started praying for Carla. They spent the whole time praying and it was at that time that her ICP monitors and her brainwaves started coming down instead of going up. And it came down so low that day that I said to the doctor, so they come down, can you do the surgery? He says, yep, we'll schedule it. Otherwise, they weren't even going to do the surgery to her back. They didn't think she was going to live. But she did. But that surgery, taking all those nerve pockets out of her back, ended up taking away a lot of feeling to her legs. In fact, she had no feeling in her legs for... Uh, for several months, for about five, six months there. And then at all of a sudden, it started coming back. She was in a hospital for three months, two months without a mind. She had one day, she just woke up. Now, I'll give you just one other piece in here that we had to every day I'd be with her and every night I'd leave her. And when I left her at night, I'd have to ask the nurses to tie her legs and hands down because she would pull stuff, the, the uh, IV tubes and different things out. Imagine being a spouse and asking someone to tie your wife or husband down to the bed. It just doesn't work. You know, it's just, it, it's an emotional thing, but I did that. So she woke up that one morning after about two months and she's like, wow, where to, am I? I was trying to get out of bed to go to the bathroom. 
I didn't realize mm-hmm. I was in a, in a hospital. I was just trying to get out of bed to go to the bathroom and I couldn't move. So I started screaming for Joey and the nurses came in. And they called me and I came as soon as I could from her house. And because she had moved from in uh, Champaign-Urbana where we were to, to our town in Burlington. And, you know, it, wow, <laughs> she was waking up. In fact, she had been in uh, speech therapy and she could not even identify her kids or family in pictures. Um, it was just so sad. But then this day she could. She couldn't even add two plus two, but now she could. Did the CAT scan with the original guy, did the CAT scan and found no um, brain hemorrhages. None. And they said that. That's to- that was to be clear. That was totally unexpected. They just expected you to be in that nursing home forevermore. So, and one of the doctors said, um, these are people of faith and a supernatural force is working in their behalf because we have no medical explanation for the healing of her brain. So that was really encouraging to us that we didn't even do anything except for show them that we knew God, you know, somehow and um, that they knew that. So that was just, that meant a lot to me. Again? Well, I could, I could tell you that the day of the surgery, that he was going to do the surgery just back, I went to the doctor and I said, I just want you to know that there's people all over the world, probably millions of people praying for you as you're going to do the surgery. And he gave me one of those quizzical looks like, Really? But literally, because <laughs> we still have them. Um, the hospital is getting thousands of emails a day because when um, we um, were in partnership with Growing Families International and when they put it out on their, you know, all of their partners throughout the world, we had people praying for me, you know, in underground churches. We had people praying for me all over the world. And so they were all emailing in and the hospital had to put one person on just getting my email. Back in those days, I couldn't get my email like we do today. You know, we didn't, it wasn't coming to my phone. So they had printed these these notes off. And I had this large stack that they had just brought to me of that and cards. And I said to the doctor, I said, all of these people are praying for you today. And then you go like, oh, I guess there really are a million people. I wasn't kidding. I wasn't kidding. The power of prayer uh, was driven home to me in that way because I thought my brain healed because those people prayed. Yeah. And, you know, you, you know, one plus one equals two until you really see it in that magnitude mm-hmm. that this is what prayer does, people. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, that really meant was powerful. And just for our listeners' benefit, the reason Joey's telling this story, Carla was telling us, she has no memory of this. Thankfully, um, I that every day yeah yeah no memory of the accident no memory of the time in the nursing home either i didn't have any i was i was in the hospital and i had no memory until the what the middle of the third month yeah it was the beginning of the third month because her dad came to visit her in the second month and she still doesn't remember him being there mm-hmm. now the extension of after of what happened afterwards is she was in physical therapy for four more years, mm-hmm. you know, and so there was a lot to go on after that, she, where she walked for a while. Now she's a full time in a wheelchair. But probably the the worst part is, is that she has still has a lot of nerve pain. She's had uh, additional surgeries and things that had to take place. But when they put those nerve packets back in, they just didn't grow back right. And so even from her knee on the left knee down, she does not have any uh, any feeling. Which leads us to one of our very first questions we have is how did your day-to-day life change? You had two children in college. You had a 15-year-old at home. 
we we were reading an article in preparation for this on what happens to children when a when the parent has a traumatic injury or a traumatic event. Um, and children can get PTSD. There was a study in Reuters that studied 175 pairs of parents and school-age children at a Seattle trauma center. And they found that uninjured children whose parents were seriously hurt were twice as likely to experience PTSD symptoms as those parents who were uninjured, you know, in accidents. They tended to recover, children tended to recover um, more slowly physically and emotionally if their parents were injured. They're at higher risk for emotional distress, substance abuse. It's difficult for children. So I guess that's the two-part question. How did your lives change as a couple? And then how did it affect your grown and still at home children? Especially Amy, who was the one with you that day. I was, I was just going to say, Amy tells us that she still has PTSD from that and that she needs to sleep with a light on. She still has nightmares. And she still has glass coming out of her skin. So because she was thrown through that, that he hit right behind her head. He hit with inches from her head, that bar, you know, it, right behind the passenger seat, front passenger seat. And she, he hit right there. When right I saw there. Amy in the, in the, in the hospital ER, her, the side of her head was four inches wider mm -hmm. from where he actually hit. That was traumatic for me. So anyway, so she's still, you know, she still deals with it. Um, but Amy is a natural encourager. And when she would hear me cry or scream out during the night because of pain, she would come down and just crawl in to bed with me because the, the doctors at Mayo, we were at Mayo Clinic after that for we've been with them still. And um, Joey, they sent, they told Joey to go sleep in another room because that's waking him up all night. Mm -hmm. And when they did a sleep study on me, they said I wake up every 30 minutes in pain moaning or I'm screaming or whatever so Amy would come down on the bed with me and just run my back and sing to me I mean she is just our encourager and she um, married a man who six months after they were married who is diagnosed with cancer but she handled him so well and so calmly and I asked her how can you do this and she said I learned it from you and dad mom what do you think I've been living with the last you know years so yeah, she's doing really well and I'm thankful for it, but you have to keep your eye on it. And the thing I think that we did that was the best was that we sent her um, for homeschooling to a friend of ours who homeschooled her and, and she had four or five kids. So Amy was with them all day long every day. And so she was in a normal family. And I thank God for that every day, because I think that that gave her a normalcy to her life. that was a very fractured at home. Mm -hmm. So. And what about your but, two that were in college? How were they handling it? You know, that, that that's interesting. Our son ended up getting the year off. And um, he had just started, both just started within, what, three or four weeks. And an attorney got him off. Um, it was interesting because when we were in a, we stayed in a hotel there for over a month until we came, got Carla transferred back. And our son, Michael, he he struggled at times with, I need to leave, I need to leave. And he ended up going and uh, staying with a friend and ended up dating his uh, friend's sister. And they ended up getting married 11 months after the accident. So he met and within three, four months, they, they chose to marry. And yeah, so that started that off. Well, was that a reaction? I don't think so. But it was he he struggled being around the medical stuff as much as he, yeah. he I think it was kind of surprising to him. And he didn't really talk to me that much. He was more there for Joey. 
And, yep. um, you know, he's pretty stoic, but we were thankful. He took a semester off school, yep. not used to you. So oh, I wanted yeah. to make that clear. And then, uh, so, and then he was there for Amy too, because they could go out and do fun things together, you know? So that was, that was very wonderful too. And um, so it, and it just affects you in different ways. But Brianna was at Moody and she was far enough away that she didn't come home very often. And um, we talked to her all the time, but um, she struggled. We could tell. Yeah. She and um, her grades suffered to where she almost was, uh, they put her on probation that first semester. Mm -hmm. And then after that, she, when, she, when she graduated, because of that semester, she didn't. Uh, she get, missed the Dean's List by one point. Because of that one semester. <laughs> oh, did anybody, any of you, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but did anybody go to counseling? No. Okay. And I think part of the reason, and you guys may burst out laughing, is uh, when you are counselors, <laughs> sit through someone else doing it when you think you can might do it differently or you might, you know, you know what I mean. And I didn't want to be asked about, so what do you feel? How does that make you feel? I was not into that at all. Not that I wouldn't deal with my feelings in my journal or my prayer journal or my quiet time or things like that that but Joey and I really did well and um we over the years were creative and finding ways because my pelvis was crushed so that of course affected our intimate life and but we have found creative ways you know to to bring some of that back and we have really worked on time together and we've worked at well we bought a jeep yes <laughs> you did yes you did you bought Bonnie's jeep the most awesome jeep in the world <laughs> it yes, is the most oh, awesome jeep it's, it's our best friend Joey's been making her <laughs> so um anyway um but now we can go out put the hood down and just feel like we were together again doing something fun so that's our date jeep that's what we call ours our date jeep that so, makes my heart very happy yes. that was my jeep just just to make sure everybody knows <laughs> yeah, that. yeah yeah it's in good hands Aww. so okay so you did not go to counseling can I, can I just follow up on the why though yeah I because think, yeah i think the why is is our perspective is that when I, when I was laying in the hospital in the ER, a police officer came and said, so is your wife wearing a seatbelt? I said, yeah, she always does. He said, well, how could she be thrown out? And I said, I know she was wearing a seatbelt. In fact, later I went and looked on the x-rays and you could see the strap on her shoulder that showed that she was wearing a seatbelt. But it. I went on and I asked him, I said, what could I have done different? And he said, there's nothing. You are in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, I want to switch that because in God's universe, there is no wrong place at wrong time. And so when you get the perspective that we were in God's place at God's time, why do we need counsel? We did what God wanted us to do. And so God is in control. Everything else falls into place. Yeah, believe it or not, when people would say, I can't believe God let this happen to you because and I'm like, why not? <laughs> why not us? Yeah, yeah it should have been you. And you know, God promised us we're going to go through trials. He probably, I mean, consider it all joy, James 1. You know, my brethren, we encounter various trials. Okay, consider it all joy. And so I would write down, how can this trial be joyful? I'd write that down in my journal. And then I also write down, you might enjoy this. I'd write down the questions that we would ask someone if if they were in counseling with us in our situation. Uh, and then I'd answer them. And then when I read through my answers, I'd say, okay, you know what you need to work on. Hmm. So that's how... So it wasn't like I just ignored that I, I would have a need there 
or that we would have a need there. We talked about it and we talked about it a lot. And vulnerably. Yes. Yeah, very much so. And we would just, you know, and Joy would say, how can we make this different? How can we make this better? What can we do? Joy's a fixer. How can we make this work? What can we do? How can we make this work? And I depended on him for that because um, I'm more of a spontaneous, whenever happens, happens. And, you know, but I never, ever, 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 ever lost my faith in God. Because people ask me all the time. So when your faith struggles, what do you do? And I'm like, but my faith doesn't struggle. It does because I believe, as Joy just said, that was God's, not God allowed it. I hate that. It's that he planned it. He wanted us He's there. He could have had the car in front of us there or the car behind us, but it was us. And he wanted us there. And he wanted us there for that purpose. And so when you believe that, then you just ask him, what does he want? How does he want you to live? With Not in spite of it, but how does he want you to live within that? Being now the central focus, basically, of your life. So mm-hmm. that's how we, we handled it. You've always said that you have a choice to be a victim or victorious over it. Yeah, or triumph over it. Because I say, focus on what you you can do not what you can't do and focus on what you do have not what you don't have and even though i probably have hundreds of lists because i make myself when in the middle of the night when i'm really struggling i make myself write a whole new one and you know i don't and i can't say anything i've already said that much so i have to come up with something new and that made me look deep with what i had and what i didn't have i not i never dealt with the didn't i always dealt with the had or what i you know and and that really kept my mind right on the positive. Can, can I throw in also, Carla is a baby person. You know, when she always wanted to work in the church nursery with the babies. And now when she's in a wheelchair holding a baby and having issues with her wrist is. Oh, this hand doesn't work or this arm. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, even her own kids with her grandkids is like, are you going to be able to hold my baby? <laughs> You know, and that's a joy of hers that she can't do as much. She can't get down and do the stuff that you want to do with the grandkids. So when the pains, because the pain seizes you, nerve pain seizes you. I call it tiger pain. It's like a tiger grabs onto you with his teeth and then shakes you. So the pain is shooting through all parts of your body. And then it's like electric shock. So if I feel that that's coming on, I immediately pass the baby on. But it's hard. It's hard because when you're in a wheelchair, you're an observer. You're not a participant. Hmm. Yeah. Tell, tell me more about that because I've, I've often pondered that um, when you're seated, I mean, just the physics of it, the physical, the being physically seated and people are standing above you. It seems like you're already out of eye contact range, you know? I'm invisible. Get to, get to the point, I think, where I, I allow that. I allowed, I allow myself to be invisible. I hear, I listen and I hear. And if I want to say something, I usually will just raise my hand. And so that wave it in front of them. So they see me, you know, because my voice, I lost a vocal cords. So my voice isn't strong. So that's kind of what I do, but it's hard. Oh my goodness. It's hard. I, you know, you can't clean. You can't, you know, I'm not allowed to cook because this hand and arm doesn't work. I'm not allowed to cook. You I just, am forever. Being her hand, picking stuff up off the floor. Is that a chore? Yes. Do I do it cheerfully? Yes. I want 
they say that Joey has never, ever, in the 19 years since the accident, he has never, ever once grumbled and complained about helping me. Mm. And I'm grateful. He doesn't always do it because he wants to, and I know that. He has a deep sigh. That's all. You know, I know. (laughs) But that's better than grumbling or complaining. I'll take it. (laughs) So, um, and I, and, you know, he knows I try to do everything and then get into trouble, usually, which he doesn't like fixing the trouble. So he just assumed it himself. So, Mm. um, that's because, you know, in physical therapy, they said, let her be, let her do what she can to be independent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's just what you try to do. But when you're in a wheelchair, I think, you know, doing the physical thing, so is not um, as hard as the relational things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such, all of the things that you're mentioning are so, um, such a testament to you. You've been married, what, 45 years? Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yes. you can just tell. Mm-hmm you're, you finish each other's sentences. You are each other's hands and feet. You, um, you anticipate what the other one needs. And it's, it's like, of course I do. Of course I will. There's not even a question. Uh, That was part of the vow. That was part of the deal 45 years ago. And I just love that. Um, you know, people are watching you do this from afar. They're watching you through this accident, they're watching you through your parenting, they're watching you through this marriage and how you're negotiating and navigating what this new normal is and picking up so many treasures and lessons from that, whether you know it or not. Um, I mean, I have today already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just think that's, Mm -hmm. that is, I'm not saying that's the reason you were in that situation in that accident, but it certainly is a beautiful outcome of it. You know, and I don't really think, and I, you know, I don't know the why. We will never know the why this side of eternity. And frankly, on the other side, I won't care. So, you know, I won't need to know because I'll be with, I'll be with Jesus. And you'll be walking and leaping and praising God. And and that has a whole new perspective to me for, you know, when you get to heaven and your new bodies, that has a whole new perspective to me because I think that, and and when I'm in really bad pain, I, I, that verse is marked in my Bible and I, I go to it and I envision that. And that's how, one of the ways I get through, you know, the pain. So I will say this, Bonnie, you'll like this one. Um, we were doing a conference and, and this is all pre-pandemic because now, you know, there people don't have conferences, but back then um, we were in, in Oklahoma and um, there were several hundred people and they had like 15 steps up to the stage. <laughs> and no wheelchair ramp. And no wheelchair ramp. So four men were trying to carry me, my wheelchair up the stage to get me up to, and of course the pulpits are too, so Joey, we all, Joey prefixes it. So we're, you know, music stands or whatever. So they get me up there. And when I finally got positioned in on stage, um, the people st- gave me a standing ovation. <laughs> and I said, we haven't even opened our mouths yet. So I feel pretty good about this. So I said, what do you think, John? <laughs> but it was the, it's the embarrassment. You just learn not to be embarrassed. You just learn that, you know. Yeah. Um, you learn... I mean, that embarrassment isn't even a word I, I even think of anymore because you just learn that what is, is, you know, and uh, my gastro system doesn't work because of the pelvis issue, the crash pelvis, and you can have embarrassing problems with that. It is what it is. Now, I'm not going to say I never cry. I'm not going to say I don't ever get upset. I'm not going to say that. Um, I don't get depressed um, because I'm not a depressive personality, thankfully, but, you know, you, you do struggle, but you don't. It, it, they don't you don't live in your struggle does, does that make sense yeah 
you already, I mean, you answered one question I had, which was what, what did you put in place to kind of take every thought captive in obedience to Christ? You talked about the lists making and the, the, what you do have, what you would, what you would counsel someone else. Basically, did you ever, um, did you ever try to like, look for God in the moment? So one of the questions we used to ask our children was like, how'd you see God at work in your life today? You know, at the dinner table or whatever. Did you do that in the, throughout this process? Yes. Um, and that was part of writing my list of what I, what I can do, what I can't do would be, you know, but I, I, well, I say that if I had to say what was one thing that got you through this, I would say it's an attitude of gratefulness. Mm. When you look for what God has done for you and you start making those lists of what God has done for you, you feel so overwhelmed with gratitude that it's hard. I mean, I got the number one physiatrist who is over all physical medicine at Mayo Clinic because I GFI leader, you know, growing families leader that we'd worked with for years, like with you guys, um, was a physician there under her. I had the number one as my doctor all these years. Can you imagine getting the number one doctor in the world? She wrote the exam for physiatrists worldwide. So this to pass, you know, so, and there's just so many things that when you start writing those things down and you see how God is working underneath, you know, you know, underneath the environment, you know, the, the, the line that you live on or your daily life, or you, you just start looking deeper and deeper for things to be grateful for, you know, it is really, really hard to, um, I usually used to start singing, you know, hymns or praise courses, even, you know, we start singing them or humming them. You know, because I'm usually in bed by myself at that point. Joy lays down with me for a couple hours and then he goes, you know, to bed, our bed. But, I, you know, I just, I'm really, you know, so a lot of times I'm crying and think gratefulness, not in vain. Mm-hmm. Because even though I'm still in, in horrifying pain, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm grateful. And that just changes your attitude and your attitude is how you deal with everything. So. That's be what I would tell others. Um, I found a quote from John Piper where he, he says, occasionally weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. Grieve the losses and then wash your face. Trust God and embrace the life that you have, which I think is what exactly what you've done. And I really love this because it acknowledges it acknowledges those emotions and those times when you're just going to cry because you're human which God also sees by the way. And I think it would be a little bit off uh, if you were to come on here and say, um, oh, my faith isn't shaken. I have all this gratitude. I don't even shed tears. Everything's great and fine and wonderful. Um, That would be a little weird. (laughs) So I'm so glad that you're acknowledging, no, I, no, this is tough. Mm -hmm. And I still cry and I still grieve the things maybe that we don't get to do. And this the grandchildren that I don't play with the way I want to. Um, but I think that's what the Psalms are all about. They lay out all the emotions and all the anger and the rage and the pain. And, and then there's a turning. You have to let yourself grieve. And the grief is always with you. 
I mean, like even this morning, my quiet time, um, they were talking about George Stafford, who wrote It Is Well With My Soul, about him, and which this generation probably doesn't even know it exists. But oh, it's I know. With, we do, but she's not talking about us. She's talking about 30 year olds. We sang it on Sunday <laughs> at our church. So there you go. But I used to play, I played piano in churches way before bands, and mm-hmm. I played piano, and that was one of my favorite songs. I had woke up and off a tour with it. It was one of my favorite ones to play. And even this morning, I just sat there and I, I, I Googled up all the words and was reading it as I was doing the devotion. And um, and I would just I just worked through every single one singing it in my mind. And then and I was I started crying because I can't play the piano anymore. Mm-hmm. And your grieving never goes away. There's, there's just moments like that that hit you and and you're sad and that's okay because and I'm not going to ask God why he chose to take the piano away when it was one of my I played it when I was upset I played it when I was mad I played it when I was glad I mean I just played it that was what I did and to take that outlet from me in a time where I desperately needed it I've never asked God why because I don't really believe it's a place to do that God is God and God is going to do what God is going to do because he knows it is the best for us. He doesn't think it, he knows it. So I just have to assume that taking that away is part of my growing, growing experience, you know? And so I think that, yeah, grieving, don't ever think you're going to be done with grief or getting over your grieving. Your grieving is always going to be there and it's going to trigger, something's going to trigger it. And then there it is again. And I always, you know, think, allow yourself to grieve, Carla. That's why this morning didn't bother me. I said, allow yourself to grieve. Just, just stop for a minute and thank God for all the years you did get to play the piano. And see, that's mm-hmm. where we go back to grief. Right. So, right. It's all braided in there together. There's grief and then there's gratitude and it's all braided in. I love that. And it makes this beautiful rug at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I, can I throw some scripture in to follow that? Yeah. It's out of Peter chapter one, verse six to nine. It says, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And and I think that's the goal of what we're trying to do is to praise Jesus through even, you know, terrible situations like this. And verse 8 goes on and says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though... You uh, do not see him now. You st- you believe in him and you are filled with inexpressible joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith. And that's the salvation of your souls. And that's actually what I say is, how can I find joy? You know, I'll see joy on the playing with the grandkids. Okay, Carla, how can you find joy in watching? If I can't watch, I go in another room. You know, mm-hmm. I just do something else, you know, because it's, it hurts too much. Even that's okay, because it just means it hurts because I love them. And that's what I write down in my little list things, journals, is I write down, um, okay, you know, you're hurting because of love. And, you know, be thankful that we're able to have this kind of love for them. And I'm always looking for a way to find something for you to do. Yes, you are. It's very good about getting me out of the house. And I appreciate that. Because, you know, we do our parenting classes now on Zoom. You know, we speak on Zoom, we teach on Zoom, so it's hard to, you know, so, you know, so for someone who doesn't drive, you know, getting out of the house. Is, so Joy will just come and say, we're going out of the house today. Get yourself ready. Okay, what about the guy who hit you and forgiveness? Because I know that you can't, those are going to go hand in hand. You can't have this joy and this, grat- this gracious 
attitude without working through some forgiveness. Can you tell me about that? Let me start it, Carla, because we're in Florida in a hotel room. And it's at night. And Carla says, um, I got this message from this guy. And I'm not going to mention his name. I don't think that's fair. OK, he sent us a private Facebook message. And I'm going like we, we had a trial and we actually won. I think it's almost a 12 million dollar judgment. We have several million dollars of um, <laughs> medical, <laughs> of medical bills. bills. And it, back in those days, we had caps, a million dollar cap on your health insurance. And so there was no money. And we had a lawyer that God brought into our life that God actually allowed me to lead him to Christ. And, and he ended up taking care of all of this for us. I actually called him the, the three days after the accident. I said, would you take this case? He says, yes, I can do this for you. I said, awesome. Anyways, it ended up being where um, this guy sends us, he didn't come to the trial. It was supposed to be a four-day trial and he it was only an hour long trial So he because he didn't come. And so we're sitting there in that hotel room in Florida three years later and Carla says, I got this message. And he sends us this message that says, you guys are- doesn't pay us anything, by the way. No, no, we've got nothing. In yeah. fact, he filed, he didn't even have to file bankruptcy, but we had to prepare to do that. But this attorney did some kind of finagling, financial guru, and we didn't have to pay anything. It's like, okay- Amazing. So anyways, we had several messages go back and forth. We moved it to email and we had long conversations. And he and he said in there, I know you can never forgive me for this because I, I watch your, your Facebook. I watch it all the time. And so um, I thought about it for a while. And it, so I finally wrote one back to him and I said, I just want you to know that I have forgiven you. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. And I said, and I have forgiven you because of the power of the blood of Jesus. And he emailed back to me and he said, I don't know anything about God. And I said, <laughs> okay, then. So I explained the plan of salvation to him. And I explained, and I and I don't want to sound like a goody tissues, like you know, you said, Bonnie, to, to your listeners. But when you've been a Christian for over 50 years, you should be wise. You should be understanding how to handle some of these things you know you should know some of this stuff so anyway so i um i did a plan of salvation to him and i said um because of jesus if i had not asked you asked him to allow me give me what i needed to forgive you i would be a bitter miserable person it is only because of jesus that i can be positive and i can enjoy life and i said and i want you to know that you are not, you have nothing to worry about forgiveness. And I said, God's already forgiven me too. You know, and then I, we sent them books for their kids. He's married now and has kids. And we sent them books for that. He was 24 when the accident happened. So it was a long so, story in there of multiple, you know, weeks that we uh, uh -huh. conversed. But it ended up being that, and, and I don't believe to this day that this was his motivation. But he said, I just want you to know that um, I, I, I wish I could pay you guys, but I can't. But since I, I can't and I need to get out from underneath this judgment, I'm going to be filing bankruptcy. And he actually took the initiative to tell us this. And he said, I, I, I wish I could do something. If there's any way we could make this right, you know, I'd like to, but I don't I don't have much of anything. And so we, you know, went back and forth a little bit. Now he came back and said, All I have is, remember, this is almost $12 million. All I have is twenty five thousand dollars. 
So for all your listeners, would you settle what we have been through for $25,000? And he borrowed that from his mother. Yeah, he'd have to borrow it. Or would you let him go through the pain and the suffering of filing bankruptcy, which would hang over his head for seven years so then he could pursue his business? And he would never pass. So we decided to, um, we prayed about it and, thought, and talked about it a lot. Talked to other counselors and business. And against all of their advice. We um we we um had the judgment we made, and when he asked us why we did that, we said, you know, it's in the past, and you don't need it hanging over your head, and we don't need it hanging over our head. So yeah. And if God owns We're the done. cattle on a thousand hills, He can obviously provide for more for all of our and needs. We said God has taken care of our needs abundantly, and we gave Him several examples of where God obviously stepped in. You know. And um, when we were, you know, collectors were at our door, someone sent us a check just to spend on your medical bills, you know, for the exact amount. That happened more than once. So um, we shared all that with him and just said, we're saying to God, you, you can't take care of our needs correctly. If we say to you, we have to have this judgment. So we're going to stick with God. And so do you still stay in touch with him? You know, we are on Facebook with him. Yeah. We have tried to get together with him. When we yeah. were out in Pennsylvania, we tried, but he wasn't going to be there. Yeah. But it's like, we ha we haven't been out there, but we would like to hook up with him. And we'll get an email from him. Periodically. You know, yeah. Or his wife. Or his wife. Yeah. Periodically. I think that you just have to decide, you know, what your ad she's going to be. And I think that we forget that it's a choice. I don't I, I can choose not to be upset. I can choose not to get depressed. I can choose, you know, to have a good attitude about in the worst. That's what I want to show Christians through all this is that you can glorify God in the worst of circumstances. I don't think we as Christians, we whine and complain about everything. And I'm thinking, what? why would I, if I was a non-believer, want to have Christ in my life? Look at you. So we don't want to be that. We wanted to be ones who showed the world, especially the medical community, that we can be joyful in the worst of circumstances. And even we were just there a week ago or so. And, you know, and they at Mayo Clinic and they asked because I'm in many, many departments there, clinics there. And they said, I don't see how you can be so joyful. And I said, why not? And I said, what's my option? Being miserable. I said, why would I want to be miserable? I said, but the only reason I can be joyful is because we, we always say we're people of faith. And then we take it the next step. Just let them know where we're headed. <laughs> but so, there's times, Carla, it's not easy. I mean, you I have to use a slide board to get in and out of the vehicles, you know. Mm -hmm. um, try Getting on a plane is always a chore. But yeah. you choose to do it. I mean, it can go on and on and on about all of the stuff you have to go through. But, I mean, try getting in and out of bed. And you might fall out of bed. Or well, get your clothes week, on yeah. without standing up, you know. You can't see out of your eyes sometimes. And what do you, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that I could go down a long, lengthy path, but it's just, it's a choice, as you said. Hey, the wheelchair wasn't locked and spun out when I was transferred from the bed to it last week. And Joy wasn't home. And I'm tangled in the wheelchair and the floor. And, and I called him because I could reach the phone, thankfully. And I called him and I, and he, I said, I'm on the floor, kind of in the wheelchair. Um, If you could come home, that'd probably be good. Okay, well, that's an interesting question because so far we've really been focusing on you, Carla, and you finding joy and you figuring it out this through your suffering and, and all the things that you have to deal with every day. But Joe, you have to deal with quite a bit too. 
you are, it is not an easy task to be a caregiver full-time on call 24 seven, whether you want to be or not, there is still um, struggle in that. There is still, how do you find joy in all of that? You know, it's not easy, but when, when we got married, she was my best friend. I'm still your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> by and the way, <laughs> by the way, that's right. <laughs> and that hasn't changed. And so why would I not um, do whatever she needs? That's what marriage is all about, but it isn't thought of that way. But yeah, there's times I need an escape. How can I get out of here? I'll go work out several times a week. That's a separation. I would love to leave my phone at home. When I've done it by accident, I feel free, <laughs> but it's always there. It's going to ring. It's, it must be Carla. Um, it, it's kind of like Carla, I have to go through a lot of what Carla goes through also. There's stuff that, yeah, I want to do. So I like to please my wife and she likes to please me. She is dying to go to Scotland to see the castles. She would love to. We had wanted to do that for our 25th wedding anniversary. We mm -hmm. couldn't pull it off it's financially. Been. So we said, we'll wait. Okay. We'll wait a few years. And then right after that, the accident hit. So I tried to call Viking cruises. And oh yeah, they, they could get us in, but they birthed the ships beside each other. So you couldn't get across them. You have to walk across them. I mean, it's those kind of obstacles that are frustrating for me. I remember the last time, probably, was it five years ago? You haven't been walking now? Is she stood up and she gave me a hug. You know, it's different from laying in bed and giving your wife or husband a hug versus standing up and hugging. I miss it. I mean, I could go on in all kinds of, of places, but it's there's so many frustrating things, you know, um, the gastro things. I have to take care of those because she can't see it. Um, I have to help her get a shower. I'm compassionate about that. And, you know, I used to be very independent. Yeah. <laughs> I've always been known as a strong, independent woman. <laughs> but, you know, it, it goes back to what I said earlier about the, the highway patrol officer in the ER room. He said, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I have to believe that I was in the right place at the right time. And this is what God wants to do me, do with me and for me. So it's keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, not on myself. I try to find ways, like uh, a girlfriend will come stay with me for a couple of days so he can get away and do, like go to a ball game usually or, or something. Um, we mean a professional football game. And we live in a small town in Iowa. So he has to go to St. Louis or Chicago. So that's always a big deal. But you know, I, I try to find ways to, for him to enjoy what he, you know, has some enjoyment apart from me. But I'm like a, I hate to say this, dark cloud hanging over his head. And when I need him, it's always an interruption, always. So um, it's hard, but I think for him, one of the things, I think it's harder to watch me being in pain than it is for me to be in pain. Yeah. I just deal with it because I have to, I have no choice. But for him to watch it and not be able to do anything, just kills them. And um, so, so that's really hard, I know. So here's a good illustration. So when you were in the hospital and you're in pain, I go to the nurse, nurse, do something. And they saunter in there and then call the doctor. And they, you know, it's like, do something. She's in pain. Well, now I'm the one with her and she's in pain. And I understand. But it's like when you love someone, you want to take care of them. 
And, and, and in marriages today, it's like they don't do that. In our situation, so many times they do end up in separation, divorce. and But she's my friend. Why should I do that? I need to help her get the most and the best care she can get. And so, yeah, I have pressed. I have pushed with doctors and nurses. I've almost been thrown out of a hospital because I, I, I said, no, you're going to take care of her. And you're not leaving this room until you fix this. Because it was something that me and that I saw as an emergency need to be taken care of, and he finally did. But the best advocate she has is me, and mm -hmm. so I take care of her all the time while I've got this, this full pressure of ministry that I'm doing also. And so there is this mixed. I need to help her, but I've got this other pressure that God wants me to do this. And so there's a big pull, and yeah, I'm always looking for. I need a break. I need to go for a ride in my Jeep. <laughs> I need to do something to get out, to get away for a little break. And I take it and she lets me. Yeah. I don't get upset that he didn't invite me, you yeah. know, and sometimes even he'll be on the couch, you know, late at night watching TV and, and I'll say, um, cause Joey, um, we teach parenting classes at night, a couple nights a week. And then, um, Joey's counseling almost every night of the week. So um, by the time he gets done with that, like at 10 o'clock at night, he usually wants to watch TV for an hour and unwind. And then, so um, a lot of times I'll come in and sit with them, but other times I'll just say, do you want to be alone? Mm -hmm. And he'll, and he says, yes. And he knows I'm not going to freak out over that. Mm -hmm. He don't want me. Why didn't he want me? I, because I know that taking care of me is not an easy job. I know that. Mm -hmm. And I respect him for doing it. And I want him to know that. So a lot of times I'll write him notes and just tuck them somewhere where he'll find it. And just so he that he knows that I, I do notice, I do notice the work that it is. And I do appreciate him. And I usually say one special thing or that particular thing that I appreciate him for that he does for me regularly. Oh, I love that. Oh, great. Uh, you yes. can't, y'all can't see this because it's just audio only, but they just gave each other the sweetest little look. Make <laughs> my heart melt. Oh, Ew, it really is. Love is really a choice. That's what I'm hearing you say. Love is a choice. Joy is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Attitude is a choice. Attitude is a choice. Yeah. And you, and like I said, you just, in every single thing that we talked about, you have to choose. You have to choose. And you make that choice. And it, even if I'm in terrible pain, but I know I have a busy day of writing, usually it's writing for a ministry, you know, writing another workshop or writing another. Joey writes the basic and then sends it to me and I refine it. So I know it has to get done. I know like we have to take a podcast or we, I know, you know, and, and so I will, you know, get up no matter how much pain I'm in, but I always ask God, I say, please help me to do this cheerfully. Please help me to do this with joy. Well, please help me, you know, I, I will do that before I hit the computer because I know that it's a choice. Mm, yeah. So good. Also oh, awesome. Thank you guys so much for sharing your story. Um, we're praying that it will bless untold numbers of men and women who will be listening to this and strengthen some marriages and uh, some relationships with Jesus. Yeah. Cause who doesn't want that at the end of 45 years, who doesn't yeah. want that? Yeah. Um, so good. So we're going to have uh, links to our show notes in our show notes to their books that they've written, their mom's notes and the parenting made practical uh, website. Also there, they have a podcast of their own too. Mm -hmm. So you need to 
make sure to tune in to that. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and take five seconds to rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends and family. Yeah. And send us your topic suggestions to just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on just, just ask, ask your mom. mom.